Okay, so if you, if you weren't with us this last week, um, then, uh, then I'll tell you, we, we just wrapped up this vision series. We are pursuing together as a church over these next five years, a revival of joyful worship that advances God's kingdom in every generation. Okay, and so we are, we are setting our eyes on that, uh, working towards that praying towards that end. And so if you, if you missed any of those, they're, they're all online. Um, or if you want to have a conversation with uh, one of our leaders, uh, one of our elders about that vision, we would love to have that conversation. But it is, it is just good to be with you this morning uh, as a church. It's good to see these spaces. Um, and uh, there, there are some folks who are, who are newer around here. And, and uh, man, I'm just really glad to see you, see you again a second time or a third time. And our hope is that you would become more and more a part of this body. Um, Side note, just, just to uh, give you a heads up, we will, we will open up our membership course that has not been open for a little while while we were working out vision alignment, okay? So now that that is, uh, we are aligned around that, moving in a direction, November is when that will, will be kicking off. So we'd love for you to be a part of that, okay? Uh, we're going to be, uh, for the next six weeks, studying the first three chapters of Ephesians, okay? And we're, we're calling this the, the foundations of worship. We want to lean into, uh, understand these foundations of worship. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter one, and uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the back. You can uh, grab that and keep it if you want to, um, but, uh, but that's where we're going to be, Ephesians chapter one. While you're turning there, I'll tell you, I, I spent a summer uh, playing baseball in Alaska, and so it's like kind of a strange place to play baseball except for in the summertime. Uh, it stays light all the time, so it's a little bit trippy, uh, but there's collegiate summer leagues all around the country, and uh, I was playing in this one in Alaska. And uh, in our free time, which wasn't much, we, we got to do some pretty cool stuff. One of the coolest things that I did while I was there was taking this helicopter tour of Denali National Park. Um, so anybody in here been to Denali National Park? Really? Oh, that's awesome, man. Um, uh, so yeah, so I, I took this helicopter tour, really cool. Um, and uh, the only bummer was that uh, Denali, the mountain, okay, so renamed from Mount McKinley. Uh, it was always by the locals called Denali, for the record. Um, and uh, the, the mountain was, it's, it's so big and so grand that it really creates its own weather patterns. And so it's cloudy a lot of the time. And, uh, and it was cloudy uh, that day as well. And so uh, we went another direction in the park. We didn't get to go see really the, the namesake of the whole park, okay? So it was like, that's kind of a bummer, but uh, what we saw was still amazing. Uh, we, we flew over glaciers, parts of the world where no human being has walked. Uh, it, was, it was really spectacular. I left there thinking, man, this is a really cool place. But that was it. It was like, that was, that was cool. And going in a helicopter anywhere is pretty cool for the record. So I, I loved it. Uh, but one day, I, while I was driving between Anchorage and Fairbanks, so I spent the summer there, and so I was between Anchorage and Fairbanks a few different times, which is a long trip. And uh, we were driving along, and the weather was actually pretty clear in the direction of Denali. And, uh, and so uh, that, that's like a prime time for seeing it. And, and and I hadn't yet seen this thing, this mountain that the, that the locals talked about with such reverence. It was like Denali, you know, they would always say it like kind of with this Denali, you know, it was like amazing. There, something about it was amazing. I was like, I got to see it, okay? It literally means the tall one in that, in, in that uh, n language uh, where it comes from, Native American language. And so I had this Sony Handycam, so it's not pre-iPhone. Pre it was like, I had this Sony Handycam, which was awesome, and uh, just would always, always just be flipping that thing open and just kind of taking videos. And, um, and so uh, we'd come around the corner and get a glimpse of, a, of a, set, a series of mountains, and one of them would be taller than the other ones. And I was like, 
there it is, y'all, Denali, you know, and I would turn on my camera, and I would start filming and explaining what I was seeing, and uh, then we come around another corner. I'd see another mountain. It's like a little bit taller. I was like, oops, okay, this one's actually Denali, and I would see, see that one, and, and uh, that went on like a few different, because there's, you're in like a big forest, and you just come around the corner and get a glimpse of things. And, uh, and so finally we came around another corner, and I don't even really remember if I uh, turned on my camera, but it, it doesn't even matter, because kind of seared in my memory is the image of this spectacular mountain. It was, it truly was like breathtaking. And it was breathtaking in some ways just because it was so much bigger than everything else. It was unmistakably the tall one, the high one, the great one. Right? It was not, there was no way I could mistake it this time because it just dwarfed everything else so significantly. And uh, after seeing that mountain, it made sense to me why people talked about it the way that they do. After seeing it, I was like, oh, I get it. Now I understand why you speak about it that way. It's breathtaking. But before that point, uh, I had been in Denali National Park. Uh, I had been around this spectacular thing, but I had never actually seen it. Does that make sense? I'd been in the park, but I'd never seen the mountain. And uh, I'd been in Denali, but failed to see the greatest wonder of Denali. And so for some of you, you've been living this, like, this Christian life, and you've never seen the realities that are so fundamental to who we actually are in Christ. In a similar way, you're living this Christian life, but you've never really witnessed for yourself these realities that are true about who you are in Christ. You put your trust in Jesus, and you are doing your very best to follow him. Uh, but if you're honest, the way that some people talk about it feels a little bit foreign to you. Uh, for the tourists that go to Alaska to see Denali and they miss it, that's sad and expensive to just drive, you know, they, it costs money to get there. So that's sad and, and maybe frustrating. But for Christians uh, that miss the wonders of being in Christ, it's actually tragic. It's a tragedy for you if you're missing the wonders of what it means to be in Christ. Okay, And your joyful worship, this thing that we're pursuing as a church family, this revival of joyful worship we want to see, for you, it's always going to be stunted. Your joyful worship will always have a governor on it until you grasp some of these truths. Does that make sense? You track with me on that? And so for some of you, it, it may be that you, you have caught a glimpse of this. Like you've seen it once before. You've been around this thing once before. Um, this wonder of who you are in Christ, but that view has become cloudy. Uh, it's been clouded by failure. It's been clouded by distraction, clouded by busyness, by pain, maybe clouded by just doubts. And, uh, and so here's what I want to ask you to do with us. Uh, if you're visiting, I hope you keep visiting with us. If you're a member here, you're part of these gatherings, uh, I want to ask that you would lean in with us over these next six weeks. Lean, lean into them, okay? Actually engage with them. Don't, not just be present, but actually with your heart and your soul, engage with the truths that we are going to lead you through in these next six weeks. So if you go to Denali National Park, there's a bus you can hop on that will take you deep into the park, okay? And, uh, and there's a guide on the bus, and they'll take you to the places that are most prime for, for seeing the breathtaking views, Okay, and, and you, the reality is you have to get on the bus to go, okay? You can't see the views unless you get on the bus, okay? And what our preaching team is going to do over the next six weeks is guide us to some of the best vantage points in Scripture 
to observe the wonders of what it means to be in Christ, okay? That's what our preaching team is going to do over these next six weeks. And the way we're going to do that specifically, I mentioned we're going to study the first half of the book of Ephesians together, all right? Ephesians is, uh, it's played a unique kind of a special role in my own spiritual formation. I love this this, these six chapters in the Bible I love very deeply, um, but it's also just a really unique book in general. It's uni- a uniquely complete picture of what it means uh, to be in Christ, to, to be a Christian, okay? But it's also very compact, okay? So if you just, you know, I think it would fit on like two sheets of paper if you, if you had small enough print. Probably a lot of things would, but a normal-sized print, okay? You can fit it on a couple sheets of paper. Uh, but so Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century pastor that I, I, I love, he put it this way. He said, whoever would see Christianity in one treatise, let him read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle to the Ephesians. So if you have one shot to understand uh, this, uh, to, to see Christianity, see it in Ephesians. Let the person read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle uh, to the Ephesians. And so it's also something, there's somewhat, something somewhat unique about this letter that was written by Paul. Uh, it's, it's, it wasn't written to address a particular issue in their church. Okay, so a lot of letters that were written in the New Testament, the correspondence that we now have as God's word to trust in, they were actually written to address certain issues that were popping up in these churches. Okay, so it would be like, you know, 1 Corinthians, we got like a lot of issues here, y'all. And so we're going to just kind of go through them and say, you know, don't, no, you shouldn't sleep with your dad's mom or whatever. You know, there's some weird things happening. I didn't make that up. Go, there's something in there, okay? Uh, but for the Ephesians, it's not written to address a particular issue. It's just a meditation on the wonders of the gospel. Um, what he's doing is just pulling our eyes to something better. And I, I just think that that's some of what the hearts in here need. Is not, not, we're not addressing an issue with what our belief is. We're actually just pulling our eyes to something better. Okay, so that's what, that's what Paul's doing, that's what we're doing. Um, and what is he pulling our eyes to? Or he's pulling our eyes to what it means to be in Christ. In the course of these six chapters, he uses that phrase, some variant of that phrase, like 39 times. Okay, so if you just, if you just go through and just mark it up yourself, you're going to see an amazing amount of times he uses this phrase, in Christ. Um, and so each week we're going to be seeing some aspect of what it means to be in Christ, okay? Every week for the next six weeks. And so we're, we're chosen, adopted, redeemed, sealed, alive, included, and empowered, okay? So we're just going to kind of course through all of these. And, uh, and so there, there's 41 commands in the book of Ephesians. In six chapters, there's 41 commands. In the first three chapters, there's only one of them. And it's to remember. There's not, there's not a lot to do in these first three chapters, Uh, There's a lot to behold in these first three chapters. And so we're going to study the second half of Ephesians in the new year. We're actually going to get to get into some of that stuff. Um, But for now, we're studying this first half, and we're calling it the foundations of worship because it has the potential to shape your worship in this foundational way. These truths have that kind of potential to shape your worship in a foundational way, and I'm praying that it would. But here's the deal. you got to get on the bus, okay? (laughs) You can't just... You can't just, uh, it's not even just getting on the bus and showing up. you got to get on the bus and actually lean in. So that's what I'm asking you to do. Even just in your heart and in your head right now, commit to that. Um, here's the two things I'm praying that God would do. Uh, that he would give you a glimpse of the riches of his glorious grace, maybe for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time, that you'd get a glimpse of it and it would be breathtaking. And that he would, through this journey, uh, carve out in us a deep, deep foundation of worship as a church. Okay that we can lean back into.
So I'm, and I'm actually going to pray for us for those things right now, okay? And then we'll, be, we'll jump into Ephesians 1. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we want to see the truth of who we are in Christ, who you are, who we were, and that what, you, what you've done to, to make us alive in Christ, what you've done to bring us into Christ. We want to see these things. And so I just pray for my own heart and for the hearts of the men and women in here. Um, God, would you, would you give them a glimpse of these great realities? Would you allow them even to sit next to Paul, as it were, and take it in, take in the views of what it means to be in Christ and would it spark revival of joyful worship in our lives? Would you carve out deep foundations of worship in our church that we would be able to build upon for years and years? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, jumping into ch chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, so it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Okay, so just kind of, this is, this is very much like typical for Paul when he's writing one of these letters, okay? And so uh, what you have to realize is that Paul was a terrorist of the early church. He's not just like um, a good, like Sunday school kid, grew up, and he's a pretty good guy. He was a terrorist of the early church. He radically encountered Jesus, and then he radically went about trying to tell the whole world about the gospel of grace through faith, okay? He was, he was crazy against God's church, had a crazy encounter with Jesus, and then he went crazy for the rest of his life trying to tell everybody the good news. Okay, so some of you, you just might think as you're reading Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, I just want you to kind of think about your own self. If you're writing one of these letters, uh, you might think that you're kind of a big pickup for God's team. Like, you know what, God got me on his team, and that's kind of a good thing for him. I'm a pretty gifted person, or I'm a pretty nice person, I have a good reputation, or whatever it means that God has got you into his family and kind of onto his team, so to speak. Okay, so some of you might feel that way, uh, like you sort of did God a favor by believing in Jesus uh, and, uh, and, and getting on board with what he's wanting to do, to, you to do, okay? But Paul is going to tell you otherwise in chapter 2, uh, and so that's going to be really fun. Uh, but some of you... Uh, you think God is still making up his mind about you. You don't think you were a big pickup for God's team. You're actually, you actually think God is still trying to decide about you. Still trying to make up his mind about you. Maybe the latest struggle or issue that you have in your life, maybe that's going to be the straw that broke the camel's back between in your relationship with God. Some of you might feel that way. And so I just want to remind you who God used to write this letter. His name's Paul when he's writing this. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor, a murderer, an enemy of Christians. That's who God used to write this letter. So just don't forget that. God has a way of bringing the dirtiest, roughest, most unlikely people into his family and then using them in extraordinary ways. So if you, if you fit that bill, I just want to tell you, uh, uh, welcome to some of the elite of God's family that he uses in radical ways, if you feel like that's you. And it might just be that it's those people who fully understand the radical grace of God. So they go about proclaiming it in a radical way. But Paul understood it, and that's for sure, and he never, ever looked back. Uh, there was uh, no one who was more astonished than he was that he was an apostle of Jesus. Do you know that? He wasn't like, oh, yeah, this probably makes sense. I mean, I, I'm a great dude. His whole, all of his testimony is, can you believe it? Me? I'm an apostle of Jesus, and he's going to make sure everybody hears about it because he's so blown away that God would choose him. So he never looked back. And uh, 
How did he become this? He said, by God's will. It certainly wasn't Paul's will. It was God's decision. And Paul is about to lose his mind celebrating that very truth. Okay, so walk with me. And he says, and he's writing to the, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so that's why this is called the uh, book, the letter to the Ephesians. Okay, so that's where it comes from. But take note that he doesn't say to the Ephesians. He could have said to the Ephesians, right? He, it's not like he was restricted in language. Uh, he said instead to the saints who are in Ephesus. And uh, saints in the Bible are not the same thing as saints in the Catholic Church. Do you know that? So you might have heard of like uh, St. Peter, St. Paul, St. Um, who's the Irish, the Irish guy? Yeah, St. Patrick, sorry, yeah. Uh, wear your green, y'all, you know, like... Uh, there's all these different saints, patron, patron saints, and uh, the saints in the Bible are not the same as that. And here's what I mean. A saint is simply someone who has become holy through faith in Jesus, and therefore they themselves are a place of worship. Okay, do you see that? There's no other factors. There's no voting. There's no pope involvement. There's no declaring. The, the person who declares you a saint is God himself. And he does that because you have faith in Christ. That's why he says, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So if you trust in Christ this morning, from the youngest in here to the oldest, I want to tell you, you are a saint already. And in chapter 4, Paul's going to call you to live like saints, but not in order to become one. So he's about to remind us how we become one. So he says, grace to you, this is verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you look at all of Paul's letters, you're going to see somewhat of the same greeting. You can just kind of flip through, and there's some kind of grace and peace factor. To Timothy, he throws in mercy involved. You know, mercy's in there as well. But it's always grace and peace to you, grace and peace to you. And then at the end of the letter, he always says, grace be with you. So he's grace in the front end and grace at the back. It's a big grace sandwich every time Paul's writing a letter, okay? And... Uh, and the reason why is uh, it's grace that brings our salvation, that brings peace with God. It's grace, God's unmerited favor on your life, that's going to give you peace with God Almighty. So it's the riches of this grace that Paul wants us to see in Ephesians. It's, everything up to this point has been pretty standard in his letters, okay? So just, just so you can kind of track and understand the scope of all these different letters, pretty standard up until this point. Um, but it's almost as if sitting in this jail cell, he's writing this letter from a jail cell, okay? So just kind of sit next to him for a second. And uh, it's like his soul in writing grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ got caught up with the truth of the gospel all of a sudden. And the result is then this 202-word sentence, sentence conglomerate. It's like, the, it's like a very huge thought that won't stop running until he gets to verse 14. So just that whole section is just him exploding in worship. It's like his soul just for just the second uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit gets caught up and he can't help it. He's just like, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to tell you everything about why we should worship him. You see that? He gets caught up in it. And so if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. At the most fundamental level, the Christian life, you want to know what it is? What the Christian life is? Is it a war? Is it a battle? Yeah, it's that too. Is it a race? Yeah. Um, it's a celebration at a fundamental level. 
The Christian life is a celebration of what God has done to unite you with Jesus. At its most core level, that's, that's why we can say with a lot of confidence we want to pursue this revival of joyful worship because that's at the very center, the very core of what it even means to be a Christian is to celebrate all that God has done, who he is, who you were, and what he has done to reconcile you with him through Christ. Namely, he's made you in Christ, one with Christ. Okay, and so uh, it's a celebration of God, not us. That's what the Christian life is. That's why we sing all these songs in here, okay? Like, we're, it's the, it would be a very weird thing if we're like, you know, we should do it at the beginning of this meeting. Just sing, you know? What other meetings do you have that you start off singing? Do, do, does anybody have any meetings they start off singing at? One, you could maybe do that. It'd be interesting to see what happens. But two, you, you're not going to have that, okay? You'd be weird. It would be the strangest meeting you've ever been to unless the intent of it is to worship, Right? So that's what we're doing in here. We, we, one of our main things we're going to do as a church is gather for worship. Is worship what we do outside of this space? Yes. But it's very much what we're doing inside of this space, which involves singing, declaring these things. Okay, so it's a celebration of God, not us. We are the recipients of a gift. So have you ever heard somebody say this? Wow, look at the way that so-and-so received that gift. That was really impressive. I haven't, you know, like, think for real. Have anybody heard that? You've never heard somebody say, man, that person just got this gift, and then it was like, I was like, wow. <laughs> no, you're never impressed with the receiver of gifts. You're impressed with the giver of gifts, right? You get this, okay? And so uh, verse, verses 3 through 14, I've said, they're all one sentence about the wonders of being in Christ, and God is the subject of that sentence. God is the subject of it. Okay, and so he starts off, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is sort of like the beginning of an avalanche of worship. And, uh, and, and the question that should come up is like, do we bless God? So he says, blessed be the God and Father. Do we bless God? Because we're about to see that he does the blessing and the greater person blesses the lesser. So what does that mean? And so just to kind of get you into this, the sense um, in which bless, we're blessing God is uh, the way that's being used is, is to say that praise is due to him. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There should be in us this response. We're, we're praising him. We're blessing him. Okay, so it kind of has this dual functionality of a word, okay? And so our praise follows his blessing. That's what we're about to see. Because he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So he's saying, praise God. He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Can you believe it? What, what, so the first question I just want you to see is, is what has God done and how has he done it? Those are the two main kind of anchor points for us. What has God done? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's just right there. And so we're giving God praise in response to what he's given us, which is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, here's the deal. When you hear that and, and when you think about that, I, my sense is that you can kind of get this idea that we have blessings in this kind of faraway Captain Hook fictional place, Right? You guys remember the movie Hook? They were eating that, you saw it where they, uh, where they have the fake food and all of a sudden it's like, it becomes that they're having the food fight. Did you guys see this? I get made fun of for like referencing movies in the 90s all the time. And uh, you should watch them. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, Robin Williams is in it. And, uh, but anyway, they, 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 it's a faraway fictional place where there's just things, you know, make-believe food fights. 
And so when you hear this, I think that that's kind of how we can think about these blessings, spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And it's like, man, that sounds nifty, you know? And uh, here's the deal. Heavenly places aren't a lesser reality. They're not a lesser reality. I would argue that they are actually the greater of the two realities between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. I'd argue that they're the greater of the two because those in those places actually or apparently can perceive the physical realm, but we in the physical realm don't seem to perceive the spiritual realm. Isn't that interesting? So which one would be the greater of the two realities? I would say the spiritual one. And yet so often we would trade spiritual be- uh, benefits for physical benefits. If you're just honest in your soul right now, would you say, sometimes I would trade a spiritual benefit in a faraway fictional place for a physical benefit that's here right now that can fix my problem that's coming on Monday morning? Because we got problems coming on Monday morning, don't we? They might be coming like Sunday afternoon. Or like you might be getting a text from like the child, like from Kid City saying like, you got problems now, (laughs) you know? but we would trade heavenly faraway blessing for our, for our kid to be healthy again, wouldn't we? A lot of times we would. Or for a job that can take away the financial stress that is eroding your marriage. Or for the pain to stop, or for the loneliness to end. We would trade for very real problems that we face today on Monday morning. We would a lot of times trade these spiritual blessings for physical ones. We also might trade them for that house or that car, that thing that symbolizes peace or comfort or power or control for us. These perceived problems, we would trade spiritual blessings for those a lot of times, if we're honest. And so I I think, I just want to tell you, I think God cares about your physical problems. I know he does. He actually tells his people, if you're going to love people, you better love them in their physical problems too. You better love them there. So God cares about that but I just don't want you to buy the lie about physical benefits that health and wealth here and now can give your soul what you really need. Don't buy the lie that health and wealth right now can give your soul what you most long for or what you most long for for that family member or that friend or that coworker. I had this realization in the wake of learning that my daughter, who will be born at the end of December, so I have a little girl, she's coming at the end of December. I can't wait to meet her, okay? And uh, we found out in our 20-week sonogram that she had a cyst on her brain. I told you about that. And um, that cyst would, could point to a bunch of other major issues in her world, okay, with her body. And um, now I'll tell you, I prayed for God to take that cyst away. He did. Praise God. He took that away. And I prayed for him too. And I was shameless. There's no part of me, nothing in me that was like, mm, maybe I shouldn't ask for this. I just asked no, no reservation, but the realization I had was that I want for my kids, listen to me on this, and I'm, I mean it. I want for my kids whatever comes with spiritual blessings of being in Christ. I want whatever life that God gives them as long as it has the spiritual benefits and blessings of being in Christ. No matter what comes. I would never trade health and wealth in this life for them for the eternal riches that they will have in Christ. I would never trade it. And I would actually say, if you would make that trade, that you are not loving your kids in the most extreme way. Here's why. No one on this planet wants my kids to be happier and healthier than I do, but it would be unloving for me to settle for less for them. It's settling for less. What do I want, 80 years? 
Nine, maybe, she, what, if, what if my daughter lived to be 120 and she had every physical benefit, every physical blessing in this life, but none in the eternal, none in the heavenly places? What kind of dad trades 120 years for 120 billion? Not a loving dad. So what I want for her, spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. So God may give you physical benefits. I just want to tell you, he may give you that. I just don't find your hope in them. And don't keep them to yourself. The lie coming with physical, maybe, maybe God's giving you a ton of wealth or a ton of health or a ton of relationship or whatever it is that he's given you. He's not given you that to terminate on yourself, okay? That, you can be sure of that. So he's given you that in such a way that you can steward that and give that away or enjoy it really well, okay? Enjoying it and giving it away aren't mutually exclusive. And some of it's don't give it away. Go on that trip and take your kid to that place. But also see that person, see the needs around you and use the physical benefits that God's given you for those things. But put your hope in the, in the blessings that he promises will never fade. That's where you should put your hope. Put your hope in the benefits that are exercised for eternity that, listen to this, give you standing in the high court of heaven. Can you imagine standing in the high courts of heaven before the king of all kings? And that's not just for like adults or people who are like about to, uh, about to pass away. We have like younger folks in here today. I'm just telling you, I'm talking to you. Your faith in Jesus today can be as real, as live, as promised, full of blessing as a, any other person in this room. So uh, enjoy them, the physical blessings, but just don't put your hope in them and don't keep them to yourself. Okay, and so uh, it is in this heavenly place that you have. It's, not, it's a past tense, okay? It's not like you will have these or one day you're going to get these or if you do well enough, you're going to have them. You, you have them, church, okay? So you have these, physical, these uh, spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, every one of them, every one of them. God has not withheld one thing from you. It means that we have everything we can imagine spiritually as a gift, Nothing good is being withheld from you. So how has he done that? How has God done that? He says he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ. Don't miss that. It's the whole theme of this whole letter. Don't miss it. How he's done How has he done that for you? How has he given you those things? He's given those things to you in Christ, okay? So they're all the results of being in Christ. I, ho I hope you will take some time and read through Ephesians, okay? Read through it on your own. It's not very long, and, and you get, I get really distracted when I read, so it probably takes me like 100 times to read it once, okay? But, but you can just do that, and as you do, start circling in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved. Start just noting that, because everything hangs on this church, our union with Christ. Everything for you hangs on this one thing, your union with Christ Jesus, okay? And you can't overstate this. Who you are is who you are in Christ. So apart from Him, who are you? You're devoid of every spiritual blessing. Who are you in him? You're the recipient of every spiritual blessing. If you're not in him, uh, Ephesians 2 is going to explain that we're dead apart from him. We're made alive together. How? In Christ. You're spiritually dead apart from him. And, and so the reality of what it means to come into Christ is that it's not a process that you undergo. Hear, hear me on this, okay? It's not like this thing you're working towards. If I asked you, are you a Christian? And you said, well, I'm trying. I would say, you don't understand what it means to be a Christian. 
it's not a process. It's not something that you work on. Now, you can work on maturing in Christ. You can grow, hopefully be more and more healthy in that relationship. But, but follow me on this. Uh, it's in the same way that if I was a prince and super-duper rich, okay, I'm not either one of those things in this, on this earth, okay? Um, and my wife, Natalie, she married me. And uh, as soon as she married me, it would all have been hers, Right? And, and if I asked somebody, asked me, hey, asked her, hey, are you married? And she said, well, well I'm trying to be. <laughs> be like, I, I don't, that doesn't even compute. That doesn't make any sense. You either are or you are not. And if you are, then every spiritual blessing is yours. It's a legal standing that you have. Do you get that? Okay. And so it may not be a good marriage, but you're married, and that comes with realities, and that's the same way it is for us with Christ. Now, the gospel of Jesus, I'm telling you, hear me on this, it's not something that you do. Okay, now we, we're going to think that, we're going to drift towards that. It's not something that you do. It's something that has been done. That's what the gospel of Jesus is. Jesus, God's eternal son, you, you might, you're like, I, I know this part. Listen, again, God's eternal son, he put on flesh. And he came on a rescue mission for all of mankind. He lived a perfect life. He was killed on our behalf, killed dead. And then he rose from the dead three days later. And when we are saved, it is, we are saved by grace through faith in this Jesus. And in Christ, you will mature and grow over time, but we're not trying to be in Christ. You gotta hear this. You gotta, this, is where, this is where it's like, let this sink into you that you're not trying to be in Christ. By faith, you are in Christ today. And so that with it makes you an heir with Christ of the whole universe. Do you get that? That's what Paul is saying. You either are or you're not. Okay, but how have we come to be in Christ? This is where we're going to end, okay? How have we come to be in Christ? You've got to get this. You could miss the whole thing if you miss this, okay? Uh, it's, it's really crucial. Crucial. So he says, uh, he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, just as, according to this, that he has chose us in him. That he, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. How have we come to be in Christ? How do you have faith in Christ? Where does that come from? How does that happen? Is it like, man, I just kind of was thinking really hard about this and all of a sudden, boom, I did it. Or actually, I kind of put myself in the right place at the right time and I got this news and I, I really processed it and I was like, you know what? I think that's true. Let's do it. That's not what God says. How did you come to be in Christ? God chose us. I'm just going to lean into here to what Paul says later on in Ephesians. He says, we're dead in our sins. What do dead people decide? Think about it. They don't, they don't decide anything. Dead people do not decide anything. If you've been to a cemetery lately, there's no decision-making happening in that whole space. Nowhere. There's no choices being made. They don't resurrect themselves. Dead people don't bring themselves back from the dead. Have you ever heard, heard some kind of story? Man, a guy kind of died on the table, and the next thing you know, he's kind of, he brought himself back from the dead. No, no, nobody resurrects themselves, and nobody's deciding anything when they're dead. The scriptures also call us lost, okay? They're, we're lost without hope, hopelessly lost people do not find their way out. Do you know that? Hopelessly, have you ever been hopelessly lost? You know what you do when you're hopelessly lost? You just sit there and cry. There's nothing else to do. You can't work your way out. You're not going to find your way out of this thing. 
Lost people don't find their way out. Dead people don't bring themselves to lives. If you're in Christ, it's because God chose you. If you have an ink, like even if it's, hear me, even if it's like a little bitty baby faith. Like I'm just hoping against hope today that Jesus is real and that he died for me. You didn't come up with that. That wasn't born in you. Like that, or that was born in you. You didn't bring that to life in you. There's a lot made in the commentaries about the way this, is, this, this particular sentence flows, and it's something called the middle voice, okay? And uh, the, the point is that it's with great intention and intimacy that God is saying this. It's not a broad, vague statement. He's saying he chose us. It's like, Kirk, I choose you. Ford, I choose you. He's choosing people with a great intimacy and intentionality. And so the point is that God, before the foundation of the world, he looked at you. Now, now hear me on this. Don't, your mind might be somewhere else. Come back to me. He said, I'm coming for you. I know you're going to be lost and hopeless. I know you're even going to be rebelling against me with every fiber of your being. But I pick you, and I'm going to keep picking you forever. That's what this passage is saying. You will not, in all of the world, in any story, no matter how romantic it is, you will not find a greater romance than this. God's forever choice of his beloved. And so my, my wife and I, we've been watching this TV show called The Voice. You might have watched it. And uh, it's a pretty fun show, all right? Uh, the judges, they're pretty funny, uh, and they're also really gifted, and they know what they're looking for because they're, they're sitting in these chairs, and people sing a song, and if they like the voice that's behind them, they will turn their chair and choose that person to be on their team. There's some greater nuance with the person has to choose them back, but um, nevertheless, like, the judges listen to these singers and choose them based on the virtue of their voice. They, they, they can't see them. There's nothing else going on. They just hear their voice, and so they choose them based on that. That's not what's happening here. Do you get that? That's not how God is choosing his people. It says here that God chose you before the foundation of the world. What did you do to offer, or what did you offer God before the foundation of the world? Think about it. What did you offer God? What virtue did you bring to the table that God could choose you before the foundation of the world? You, you, didn't, bring, you didn't bring anything to the table. You can bring nothing to the table. Uh, before you could muster up the tiniest effort of faith, he chose you. And without that choosing, you would have never had faith to muster. Do you get that? Uh, Ephesians 2, it's going to be up here. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where we're going to end up. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Get, now, now, you might know that part. Now, look, look at this. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one will boast. No one may boast. Who, who will we boast in, church? We will boast in God. Remember how Paul became an apostle? The will of God. That is why his soul is overflowing in worship to God. God chose me. God chose me. God chose me. Can you believe it? Now, here's what is amazing to me also, is that God chose us to become something, uh, not just because we are something. He chose you to become something. He says uh, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Do you see that? Holy and blameless before him. This would be kind of like a judge on the voice saying, I'm going to choose this singer before I hear their voice. I, I, I'm predetermining this. I'm going to choose this singer, and then I'm going to make them into a beautiful singer. 
Now, if they did that, I'm asking you this. Say they took somebody who was really a singer like I am, very not gifted, potentially just altogether broken as a singer. And they said, we choose you, Will. <laughs> and by the end of it, I was just like crushing it. Okay? Uh, who would get the credit for that? Who gets the credit? Do I get the credit? I didn't do anything. Somebody else chose me and they made me into a great singer. Everything about my life then in Christ is being conformed into, made holy and blameless, not because of anything I've done, but because of everything that God has done, okay? Uh, if, if that happened, the judge gets the credit. That's why the Christian life at its core, church, is a celebration of what God has done, who he is and what he's done. God is choosing us and he's making us into that which he created us to be. He is choosing us and making us into that. So today, look at, look at me and hear your, this for you. If you're in Christ, hear me. You are holy. That means you're set apart. Something special to God. And you are blameless. I do not care what you came in here with. I do not care what your past holds. I do not care what you thought about 10 minutes ago, 10 minutes from now. I do not care. God says that you are blameless before him. That means that no one can bring an accusation against you, Christian. No one can bring an accusation against you. Do you believe that? Because there's a lot of accusations that are going to get thrown at you this week, tomorrow, today. Who can bring a case against God's beloved? The blood of his son has paid your penalty in full. So your standing with him is secure. Oh, that we would just live like our standing before God was secure like you were loved with an eternal love, chosen before the foundations of time. He set his affections on you to say, you, you will be mine, and I will make sure of it that no one for all of time could bring an accusation against you. What would it look like to live like that? So over the next few weeks, we're gonna keep driving through Denali, as it were, exploring who we are in Christ. I really wish we could keep going for now because it just, it just gets better. But here's what I want to ask you to do this week. Just choose to engage with the one who has chosen you. What would it look like if you chose to engage with the one who has chosen you? If you're not in Christ and this whole thing, you're like, he's choosing people. Am I chosen? I think he has you here. And this is not just like some preacher trick. God ordains the, the smallest, most minuscule of decisions. He puts you where you are. And you are here today to hear a message that you are invited into the family of God. What it means to become in Christ is to put your faith in him, to put your trust in him. But if you are, engage with the one who has chosen you. What if you were holy and blameless before the one who matters most in the universe? I'll tell you, this week... Um, I got angry about something. Something happened like in a parking lot, probably. Not probably, I have an exact image in my mind. <laughs> I got mad about this situation that unfolded in a parking lot. And then um, my wife, the discerning person that she was, or is, is uh, she's saying, um, hey, I recognize something in you, seems off. Uh, and, uh, and then I was mad about being mad. I was mad because before her, then I was worried about my image and uh, I have to preach a message on how to trust in how much God loves me in like two days. And so how am I supposed to do this? My whole life is falling apart. I'm mad about being mad. You know what the Holy Spirit did for me in that moment? He said, stop. Stop. I already 
chose you. I already love you. You can just be honest about who you are. You can be honest about all your defects and failures and all these things. You can just be honest about them. You're holy and blameless before me. Trust me. Acknowledge that. Admit where you failed. Engage in that. It's revolutionary. You know what didn't happen? My, my day did not spiral out of control and my marriage get uh, separated and hurt by that. That did not happen. God, get, God got glory for that and my marriage was healthier because of it. And so here's the uh, thing. I want you to stop trying to win the court, uh, win approval in the, in, in the court of public opinion. Just trust in your approval before the high court of heaven. And then the last thing is just bless him. Paul, if you're sitting next to him in that jail cell, he would say, perfect. We don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> I can tell you all about this. It's amazing. Look at these blessings that we have in Christ. Let's bless him. Let's sing to him. Let's talk about this. Let's recount these things. Bless him in your quiet moments this week. If you don't have a quiet moment, I would suggest finding one somewhere. Find a quiet moment, five minutes, and remember how God has blessed you and let it stir up into blessing him. Bless him with your family, with your kids, with your spouse. It's gonna be really awkward if you've never done that with your spouse. If you've never said, hey, let's talk about how great God is. Your spouse is going to be like, oh, look at you, Mr. Sunday School Captain. No, you're, they're going to, it's going to be awkward, but you've got to lean into that. Say, yeah, no, let's, let's try to do that. <clears throat> bless them with your coworkers or with your neighbors or with your friends. And then the last thing I'll tell you is let's just bless them now. We're going to sing. Uh, all of these things. The, the, the center point of the Christian life is a celebration of what God has done for us in Christ, how he's chosen us. So let's do that. And I hope you will lean in with us over the next six weeks, driving through uh, really the, the place where the greatest of all truths is and the, the highest of all hopes and the king of all kings, what he said about you, what he's done for you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, um, we are, we are maybe needy for, for your spirit to bring this stuff to life in us. I pray that you'd give um, just, the, just my friends courage, courage to listen to you, Holy Spirit, when you remind them about who they are in Christ. Um, I pray that you would help us to be a people who worships you, not because we're supposed to. We can't worship you that way. We'll worship what we love, so would you help us to know how much you love us? And would it spill up, bubble up? Would it uh, pour out into worship for you? And would you draw even more people into this space, into our lives, into our living rooms, into this church, God, that we can magnify, multiply, uh, raise high the name of our King um, and how we have been rescued in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray.